Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Please give a warm welcome to Kelly Hoey, co-founder of Women Innovate Mobile, and Brian Cohen, chairman of New York Angels. So it's my absolute pleasure to have as my guest tonight, um, Brian Cohen and New York Angels, which Brian is the chair of and has really been spearheading the growth, is the largest and most active angel network group in the United States. And that's really important for early stage companies because, you know, I'm saying accelerators and angels, that's where it all starts with the funding. Um, and uh, he uh, co-founded Technology Solutions. And as Brian said to me, I co-founded it with my wife. Um, and you had a successful, successful exit on that. Wildly. I know, it was fabulous. <laughs> This is going to be Punch and Judy, I can tell you this. And you are a best-selling author, uh, What Every Angel Investor Wants You to Know. And I want to talk a lot about that and friends and family. Now, let's start with, when did you start investing in startups? And I noticed a quote of yours. Was it you started investing in startups when angel investing was stupid money? Yeah, years ago when I was in the service business, I didn't know I was doing angel investing when my clients couldn't pay, so I would take stock. And so, in a sense, that was really like angel investing. I believed in them. They couldn't pay me. I hoped that they were going to be successful, and I would receive funds as an exit would happen for them as well. But 30 years ago, uh, angel investing didn't exist. The word wasn't part of the vernacular. Angel investors pretty much started maybe 15 years ago, pretty much on the West Coast. So by default, we were doing it because we wanted to work for these companies for the same reason we do the investing today, because we loved working with these companies. It was fun. It was an honor. It was exciting. That's, that's, okay, the other expression you, that you've used that I want to just get out there right away, wannapreneurs. What's a wannapreneur? All right, these are, <laughs> these are reality questions, and I think some of you in the audience can appreciate it. A guy can't get a date on a Friday night unless he has a startup in New York, all right? It's really important to the woman asking, what do you do for a living for him to say, I've got this really cool startup. It used to be I work for McKinsey, it used to have some financial aspect to it on the street, but now it's that. So a lot of guys come up with businesses that aren't really actually structured, thought out businesses that have a future. And I call a lot of them entrepreneurs. Now, it's not to be mean or rude, Angel investors are wantra angels too. There's a professionalism that I expect from a startup. I think everybody would expect it. But you know, the cost of starting a company today is approaching that of an unemployed person. And most of these guys are unemployed. So you can be a wantrepreneur in New York. And as I finish that line, living on hopium. Um, because it is like a drug. It really is. So it's not to be demeaning. But there is an edge to it, and the edge is, is that they've got to go beyond that. There's a, there's a time and a place for dreaming and hoping, but then there's a time and place really being an entrepreneur. And that means a lot of structure and a lot of rigor. And that's a critical component I hope we can bring out tonight. I definitely want to do that. Um, let's kind of take a step back. Let me get to some basics for people who don't know the difference between angels and VCs? Well, we're partners. Um, angels need VCs, VCs need angels. They didn't always think they did. Uh, in many cases, some VCs would be the earliest stage investor, which we call seed investing. That's 
a little bit after friends and family, and in fact could be part of friends and family. It's a little bit gray. But the biggest difference between VCs and angels is that VCs invest other people's money, to a great extent traditional VCs. There have been some changes in their models and structure. And angels invest ours. So I literally pull the money out of my own pocket and I say, here, I'm going to invest in you. That's the big difference. The other big difference, second on the list of issues, is that they have a model, a financial model they have to meet in terms of a return on investment to their investors. They just do. They've got overheads, they've got costs of people, administration, researchers. So they have costs involved. So you have to exit at a very high number with a big enough marketplace. Generally speaking, a billion dollar exit is what they're looking for. Unfortunately, statistics, and I don't want to bore you too much, is that the average exit today, that's a key word, sometimes we call it a liquidity event, that's the only way we make money is when you sell your company. That's it. Or go public, but that's very rare these days. And with all the issues about going public, a lot of these companies don't really want to go public. Um, so we want you to exit, but as an angel investor, it doesn't have to be at a billion dollar exit. It could be less. So I've spoken to some wonderful entrepreneurs who said, you know, I don't know if I want to take money from a VC because they're going to force me to stay in business longer when competition increases, uh, when I have to hire more people, it's going to take more years. Sometimes an entrepreneur like yourself says, you know what, I'm starting this business, I want to get out sooner than later, I'm not interested in building a big business. It makes it easier to exit if it's through an angel. Generally speaking, that's the rules. Okay, the other thing, question I really wanted to ask you about in terms of early stage, you brought it up, friends and family. Yep. One of the things we never talk about, I mean, we talk about how you meet angels, and I want to go into that more, um, and how you woo a VC. How do you shake down mom, mom, dad, and aunt and uncles and your best friends? How do you, how do you get that friends and family around? Tips? Yeah, I mean, you tell them how much you love them, how much they need to love you, how much you will leave the house, you know, for, right? Uh, more money. It's hard to actually measure. Statistics are hard to come by. But there's more money that goes into startups and friends and family than angels and VCs. But it's hard to measure it because you know, the parents are just giving the money out of their own pockets. So there's a great deal of pride there. So, and there's not a lot of business yet. There's just the dream. And parents today are much more willing to help you because they see that we're living in an entrepreneur society and you're not getting the job that you expected and they think that they have a responsibility. I haven't seen any research that talks about how hard it is to get money from your family uh, or broadly, friends and family. But they're there as a wonderful resource, and you should certainly avail yourself of it. They're not structured from a professional standpoint to question you about your business. So it's more about the dream and what you think you can bring to the world. Those kinds of stories you know, clearly are precipitated um, um, as, as a method to get them to open up their pockets. In my case, all my kids had to start a company before they were 26. So they knew it, and I had already set aside monies for them, so it was a very structured thing. And as a father of three delicious morsels of love, um, I put them on that path. So it was kind of expected. So I tell parents, and sometimes the parents respond to this, you don't have to leave me any money, right? There's that sense that they're gonna grow old and they're gonna leave you something. But tell you what, instead of leaving me money, why don't you invest in me? And that as a message really works. So don't leave me money, but please invest in me. And on its own, that's a very powerful statement to make. 
And every time I talk to a parent about that, they say, you know what, that really does resonate. Did your kids get good terms when you gave them money? <laughs> um, we're structuring. More, more, more favorable. Than <laughs> we're in negotiations. I think everything is in education. And I think relative to the way the professionalism of angel investing you know, should be, um, they have every right and responsibility to decide whether the terms are good or not. And I expect them to be knowledgeable enough, just like you. You can find that anything you want on the internet. You could ask questions of people in New York. It's a wonderful, warm, hugging community, as you know. Um, the New York startup community is like no other in the world. And I've been around listening to a lot of startup communities. Every one of you in this audience can reach out to me and anyone, certainly sometimes challenging to get a hold of us, and we're there for you. We don't exist unless you, know, you have a company. So I, whenever somebody thanks me, for meeting with me, I said, what are you thanking me for? I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for you. We're addicted to doing it. We need, we need the great startups to right. be coming our way and all of that. Um, let's talk about the professionalism of angel investing. Um, what? Big topic. A couple of things. One is, as an angel investor, you have had great discussions on whether angels should be taking um, equity or convertible notes. It's a longer conversation. There's a proper way to professionalize a business. Let me point something out. Angel investors don't make money. I'll repeat that. Angel investors as a group, generally, individually, parts of groups have been really challenged to make money. If they lost all their money and all their investments, it wouldn't change their lives. Angel investors are basically rich people called angels who have the opportunity to spend some extra money however they want, right? Um, the professional nature of angel investing means that you're in it to make money. And that's a good thing because if you make money, you make money. And there's some bright kids here in the audience, company Canvas, I see other companies around here, they're all interested in partnering with an angel who wants to help them make money and also wants to create a, a proper deal. Now, by the way, I always get upset when somebody calls uh, a startup a deal. You're always investments. It's rude to call you a deal. We do deals, but you're an investment opportunity. Just clear word differences, right? To make money, you have to have proper terms. Terms that make sense, both for the angel and for the entrepreneur. It's a longer conversation, but we've entered into this strange world of fast, slippery slopes, where if we make the legal process faster and cheaper, will be able to get funded. But by doing that, you really cut back on a lot of the professional elements associated with qualitative term sheets. And convertible notes have been notorious for doing that. Convertible notes were created, and for some of you who don't understand it, it's debt. You're really not buying something. You're saying, I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna give you this money, but when you get your next round of VC funding on a, pre on a predictable date, we'll convert it at some you know, reasonable discount. Well, the discount, frankly, doesn't really meet the risk that the angels are taking. Usually it's like 20, 25%. And it's incredible that the angel early on is putting all this money and you're de-risking the company as you're growing, but they gave you that and they get back just 20% on that. If that was in a short period of time, which notes were created for, which were leading to a round, which was sooner rather than later, that makes all the sense in the world, that's fine. But if it's like a year or two out, it doesn't make sense. And plus, convertible notes don't create boards for your company. And boards are a great exercise. It's like getting on a bicycle. 
and saying, hmm, I'm going to work with some smart people as a board. So by creating this concept of convertible notes, which were created by lawyers because they were too expensive, that's the big reason it was created, it really cuts back on the qualitative nature of both the investment that meets the needs of both the entrepreneur and the angel. I hope that's clear. You'll have questions. You can ask me about it. No, no, it's just good for people to know, because you are um, very vocal in terms of angels. Me vocal? I know. It's, you're so shy, and I'm glad you've you brought your full personality in, uh, and out, out, out this evening. But know that the whole idea that you know, it, this is, these aren't the right terms, and just because certain segments in the startup community think we should pay, be papering early investment this way, that this is the way it should be done, but you're very vocal about in terms of professional angel investors and what they're doing, and I think, it, back to your point, people need to remember that it's your money out of your pocket, not somebody else's money that is being invested. It, by the way, it's professional on both sides. So I was at a major university a couple of months ago, and I asked a bunch of the 300 kids that were there in this club for entrepreneurs, are we being too nice to you, right? Are we being too nice to you? How many people here are entrepreneurs? How many of you are entrepreneurs? Ha, <laughs> don't do it. Okay. All right. Okay. So for the years that I've been doing this, we coddle you. You're a nice entrepreneur. Oh, you're so sweet. And it's almost a, a badge of honor that you started a company. And I'm sorry, but it's a serious thing. And I think if we're not hard enough on you, and I've always wanted to start a devil's advocate group, just to torture you in a, in a positive, good way. And so all the years I was in business, that's what I did for my clients. I annoyed the hell out of them by asking them tough questions. And you want to be asked the tough questions. You want to have your sword sharpened. But there's not a willingness on the part of my side and my community to do that as often as they should. Because, you know what? It sometimes rankles you. And you'll tweet about us not being nice, right? Oh, they weren't nice to me. And it's hard in a social world because we don't want to get a bad reputation for somebody saying we weren't nice to you, but I think it's upping the game on both sides. So rigor on your side is professionalism, being prepared, and on the angel side being professional is doing what I say in my book, more due diligence. I don't know how many of you understand what due diligence is. It means that if you're gonna have a company, I'm gonna ask you questions, I wanna talk to your customers, I wanna get some in-depth knowledge about what I'm investing in. And yes, there's not always a lot, because you're a new company, but whatever it might be, and I call it due diligence, D-O diligence. And the reason I changed it from D-U-E is because D-U-E was more of a reason not to invest. I want to do due diligence so that you have every reason to tell me why I should and I can listen to it. So it's more of an optimistic type of due diligence. I want to find out more about why I want to invest. That's really, really uh, important. But professional angel investing is simple, smart money, and you don't raise money, you raise investors, investing in smart companies. Really, really important. Not doing due diligence on a company is like unprotected sex. <laughs> Think about it. You, see, you don't we, know what you're getting. Yeah, you can, you don't never, know. <laughs> can never have a conversation with Brian without like a really great mm, new soundbite, and I hope someone tweeted that well, one, because that was awesome. Yeah, you, gotta, you gotta make a point somehow, yeah. right? And if it fits and the, and the analogy works, like use it. I like it. I like it a lot. I'm waiting for you to ask me about all those accelerators and stuff. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that. You know, I've had that conversation. Um, but because of the show of hands here of how many entrepreneurs, and knowing at the very early stage, yes, there's the idea, there's the market, but we're investing in the entrepreneur, right? That's that. So what do investors like you look for 
in those entrepreneurs? So I started, I started out as a journalist, and each, again, angels are just rich people called angels. Some of us have backgrounds in finance, some of us are entrepreneurs, we're a variety of things. So I come from a marketing side. So I want to know that you know what your customer dreams about. I want to know that you know the food your customer eats for breakfast. Maybe not specifically you know, the type of bacon that they eat, but I want to know that you are so deeply rooted in the mind of your potential customer that you can tell me every reason why behaviorally they're interested in what you've got to offer them. Oh yeah, after that it's a product, it's a service, and you can figure out how to execute on some methodology to reach them, marketing-wise, et cetera. But the first question, how well do you know your customer? If I find out that you don't know your customer that well, or you don't know your market that well, relative to what their needs are, I'm not interested. It's that incredible, insane curiosity to find out all the best information that you can that makes you remarkable, because you can answer any question. You just know it. I had this question with an entrepreneur last night for dinner, and you know, some of the conversation was, well, I'll learn it when I find it out, when I need to. No. There's a insatiable sense of knowledge that you just want to know because you're in that business. When I had consultants working with me years ago in, in, in my business, um, I would ask them a question. And the trigger to firing them was they'd answer back, that's a good question. And I'd say, you know how good it is? You're fired. <laughs> it took me to ask you that question? Why wouldn't you have asked it yourself? So there are those little triggers. So I started out as a journalist, and I think from my vantage point, they used to say, what's news? And a journalist develops a nose for news. That's what they used to say. I think I've been doing, as you noted, angel investing since it was called stupid investing. And so I have a, I, I've gained a, a natural, I, I hope, though I will also say I've never met anybody that can pick and choose. But I think I've, I've, I've got a, a sense. I grew up reading Spider-Man comic books, so I have a spidey sense. I, it tingles. I can feel it. I get nervous. I get, oh my God, this person's extraordinary. These people are incredible. And after that, it's just about running a good business. In the ways you can help them. So let's go to Pinterest. What was it about those founders that intrigued you and interest you? It was really just one. Um, founded a business plan competition in New York City. An extraordinary human being. Um, the tingling was way off the charts. Um, the idea was clear transferring the world of the analog to the world of the digital. I love simple. Never got complicated. You know, the, the greatest companies in the world are simple companies. When you think about YouTube and you think about Facebook, break it all down. Get down to the bare bones of it. What business are they in? What business are these companies in? They're in the container business. Stop for a moment. Think. All they're doing is providing a container for you to put your stuff in. They just have a a methodology around it that supports some social activity or some experiential relationship you want with some content or people, but all they are are just content businesses of putting stuff in containers. Pinterest is similar, um, the need to share. I love the simplicity of that. I'd love for you to always get as simple as you can. Here's an analog thing that people do in the day-to-day -day world I found a better way for them to do it in the digital world. You know, getting a cab, buying clothes. Sometimes you win in different ways, that's an execution. 
but I love the simple, the clear. I saw a company the other day with an app to find the best food recipes. Who doesn't want to find the best food recipes based upon what leftovers you have in your refrigerator? Now the question is, how well they know the market? How well can they execute? I love simplicity. Don't get too complicated. Keep it simple. We, we, we like that principle. Um, so who do you consult before investing? To a great extent, um, my kids. Um, I love their insight. Um, they've been my friends um, for a long time. I had the opportunity to retire at a young age when I sold my company. Um, my wife and I have a 31-year relationship. And let me make this very clear. Family is everything. You could be an entrepreneur, but as a woman, and there's a sense of relationship that our conversation is to women, um, never deal from a position of fear. Don't worry about it being absolutely all mapped out. You know, all the new psychology is talking about the psychology of men versus women. I think women are smarter than men, period, guys. Sorry. I've seen it. I feel it. I know it. So I consult my, my partner, my wife. Doesn't always agree, but I can learn things from what she says, so my intuition isn't always right. So I have the luxury of having had a family um, that I've been in a relationship with that I like and trust and admire for their input. And from a youthful perspective, they give me insight that I would never get from anyone else. Other than that, the New York Angels, about 120 of us, and these are guys, 18 women, um, that are social so that we can share openly and challenge one another and say, that's a really sucky idea. Why would you invest in that? And a lot of angel investing is momentum driven. I like him. I like what they're doing. I'm going to invest. And once that trigger is pulled, it's hard to pull it back. So I consult to my own fellow New York angels uh, a lot um, because they give me good insight, particularly when it comes to and I don't know how many of you ever heard of Tommy John's underwear, but I wear his underwear all the time. Um, things you didn't think you were going to learn tonight. Right. So one of, my, one of my best investments is Tommy John's underwear. He reinvented men's fly, which used to go like this, and now it goes like this. He calls it the quick draw fly. Right. Um, I didn't have to ask too many people about good, that Good one. to know. Yeah, very, very important. Good to know. But wildly successful. Wildly successful. So... What other gems are you going to have for us? I'm going to carefully look at my questions. Um, so let's talk markets. Which markets do you like to invest in? I want to look at it from a geographic well, it's as, actually, as, well, as well as product, like in terms of what is exciting you, you know, what are you getting excited about right now and what kinds of things you think are interesting in terms of looking at it. But ge geographic, which market do you like investing in? Well, geographic is about New York, but we don't just in, you know, invest in New York. And by the nature of the kind of industry or product, uh, it's broad-based. We just saw a pill that cows take. It's in one of their eight stomachs. I don't know if you know cows had eight stomachs. And it measures their temperature and decides whether or not the cow's ill so they can pull the cow out of the herd. I love simplicity, right? It's a sick cow. Get the cow out of the herd. Nobody had a pill that did that, that they could actually find out which cow was ill. Um, food is huge. We become foodies. That's why I'm looking at that particular app that I told you before. But, you know, it's not about a specialty. And, in fact, it's about building, as an angel, for me, it's about building a portfolio. Remember, it's professional angel investing. And investing in one particular category could be deadly. 
So when you guys invest you know, all of your money, when you're wildly successful, the one thing you'll, you'll be taught is to spread out the risk among a variety of possible arenas that don't overlap with each other. So my investments go across just about all bounds of companies, from art, a thousand museums, to men's underwear, to Pinterest, and that's pretty much a strategy. To comic books, comicsology, that's a strategy of investing. The unfortunate thing about angel investing sometimes is you tend to choose the tallest opportunity that you've got. And that's not good. I have to choose a company that I believe they can get me anywhere between, and actually being conservative on this, 20 to 30 times my investment. The statistics about angel investing, as I said to you before, are horrible. Angel investors don't do that well, no matter what you think. I have to make up for my dogs. I have to make money. And if an angel investor doesn't make money, the ecosystem suffers. What I'm seeing now, and I'm very sensitive to it, is angel exhaustion, where angels have been very promiscuous. They invested in everything they saw. They really rifle shot. And it takes anywhere between five and nine years to get an investment exit. The average age of an angel investor is like 56. Now I know I'm a lot younger than that. But that's really hard on an angel investor. I said averages, you know, five to six, six to nine, nine years. So we're not gonna see our return on our investment until our grandkids are older in many of those cases. So I have to find an investment that's going to scale fast. I'm an investor. I'm, I'm an investor. It's gonna scale fast and give me a big exit because I'm not that good at it and I'm gonna lose my money. And the only way angel investing perpetuates and grows is by making it and succeeding. Yeah, because we're, we're addicted to investing and so we wanna make money so we can put it back, back to work. Absolutely, that's what you see in Silicon Valley. They've had a longer history of bigger exits of bigger companies, and guess what happens? Those younger people who made those exits are now putting their money back in as angel investors. It's a pretty straightforward process. It's a nice little rainforest, right? And then, and I'm saying, as, as the New York market matures, and we'll we'll get that rainforest going. Right. Um, so one of the first times you and I talked, that's why I was really looking forward to tonight. Love talking to you. Yeah, you stuck me on the hot seat and said, all right, give us your best elevator pitch. And it was like, a bit ba 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 So what's the best elevator pitch you've ever heard? And don't say mine, because it was not good. Oh, my. Like, what do you want to see in an elevator pitch? And do, is there a memorable one? You know, the whole point of an elevator pitch isn't to make me want to invest. It's to make me curious enough to have the next conversation. Right. Right? So this overabundance of, oh, my god, I got to do <laughs> And it gets really complicated. Is, is to me unfortunate. There's a customer, they have a problem, I have a solution to it, I know how to execute on it. Great. If I believe that's a real problem and I believe that you've defined it well enough, that you know it from a marketing standpoint, and that you have a potential solution that seems to make sense, great. To me, that's like breakfast. It's like waking up in the morning and you've shared with me, hello, I've got a great idea and a solution for a, for a company that needs it and customers that are looking for it. Great, then we'll go to lunch. And if you make it past lunch, where we're talking a little bit more about what you're thinking is, then I'll have dinner with you. But to me, it's about breaking bread over the discussion of your idea. I wanna talk to you, I wanna know you, I wanna feel out what your thinking is. I wanna see if you can actually talk and eat at the same time too. <laughs> 
How are your table manners? There we go. No, that, you know, and this is something we haven't really talked upon. And I, you know, I sort of the emails that I get in my inbox where someone says, I need an angel. What's the best way to meet and woo an angel? You shouldn't have to woo an angel. The best angels uh, want you. That's what we're in business for. There are casual angels, right? The average angel investor today makes one investment. That's it. So the angels you want to meet are the ones that are angel investors. They make a lot of investments. So they're available to you. All the New York angels are online on, the, on our site. All their LinkedIn profiles. And because it's called investor raising, not money raising, you should be reaching out to them. And you shouldn't be shy, because I love to tell you all that you're in control. I'm not. I just want to put money into you to make money and to help you succeed and do everything I can. But you, it's weird. There's this sort of timid nature. And that, by the way, defines whether or not I even think you're worthy of investment. If you're not in control of raising money, if you're not in control of finding me, if it's hard for you to find me, if I, somebody says to me, how do I find you? Next. I'm sorry. It's easy to find angel investors that want to be found. And so that timid nature is really the first indication that I can get as to whether or not you're investable. So the more you're in control, everybody say it, I'm in control. Uh, <laughs> Isn't that easy to say? But now you have to be. Now you, hey, you just crossed the path now. You are now in control. You've accepted responsibility. So angel investors love that. We want to know that you are strongly in control of what you've got. But you've risen the bar by being in control. Because now we have a higher level of expectation from you. But we're available for that. We want, we want you to find us. So if an angel investor is making it hard and playing cat and mouse with you, walk away. And the other thing I like to always share, what's the best answer other than yes? No. You are really trying to get to know fast. Because angel investors and VCs, you can read all about it, lots of blogs talk about it, are loath to say no. I never said no. I held out hope. I thought it was a possibility. I don't know what happened. They just passed me by. You want to ask, because you're in control, you want to ask an angel investor, are you investing or not? You want to put them on the spot. Is it no? Did you say no? No. Oh, good. Thank you so much. Thank them for saying no. Make them feel comfortable about saying no. No, I agree, because there's nothing worse than, you know, waiting to, like, are they in? Are they not in? Are we doing this? Like, just... Let me move on to find the next, next investor. I get more compliments, I get, you know, for saying no. But, you know, we say no 97.8% of the time. When you look at the New York Angels and you look at the scope of the companies that we talk to and how many actually get funded, and that's pretty much across the board statistically, that angel investors invest in one out of 40 companies. VCs invest in approximately, you know, again, statistics are hard to come by, one out of 400 companies. Yeah. No, I, I think that's, and that's important. That's like one of the questions I had down here is like the, the chances of getting funded are so, so small. Extraordinarily small. And more now, I'd say. Because I think the angels are realizing, just like you have to up your game. 
I think the Angels are now realizing. Again, it's a, it's a new sport. I like to call it a contact sport. You know, that's why I get a kick out of crowdfunding. Um, and that's a whole different conversation right. with some new SEC regulations that are being evolved as we speak. Right. Um, it's, a, it's a contact sport. It, it, it's not something you could easily do. And there's some value in AngelList and others, and I think they're very valuable. Don't get me wrong. But I think for overall, it's about you know touching and feeling and hugging and knowing. Right. You know. You, know, you got to meet. You, got, you want to look your investor in the eye and you want to know who they are. Would you invest in a in a company that had crowdfunding? Or yeah, I mean, if I met them, sure. And 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 the investment terms were correct. Sure, absolutely. Uh, it's a method to round out around to find other people. It's a democratization of, of yeah. making other more people aware that you exist. I think it's great to find the right, again, it's investor raising. Right. Not everybody has the luxury of saying, hmm, I'm not taking money from you, or you, or you, but I'll take it from you. But it's that aspect of control that really impresses an angel investor too, that you know so well what you've got, and it's so important that you can actually do that. But and part of that in control is knowing who you're pitching to, and that they are the right person. Oh. Yeah. As opposed to sort of scattershot, I need but again, to get some, some money from someone. We're always impressed when you've done the homework as to our background. I, I think you're the right person to give me money. But then again, that's like, as I said before, I'm the customer. I told you you better know the customer, so you know me. It's really upsetting when somebody comes and asks me for help, support, whatever, and I say, have you checked out my LinkedIn? Do you know about my background? They go, no. I mean, in this day and age, isn't that silly? That's really silly. Well, we're so, we, we so rely on search engines that we're not actually doing the research, you know. And I, and I know, because Vanessa is here, like, you don't go to New York Angels if you haven't looked at the website. You've, all the information is, it's, it's there. Like, don't ask the question that you can find on the website. So that's a tip for all of you. Right. And, you know, you talk about it, Vanessa. Vanessa runs the New York Angels, Vanessa Pastrito, right there. And she triages brilliantly companies that come to us. She knows the backgrounds of the angel investors. She understands what their investment appetites are. So you could reach out to Vanessa, and she could help you understand a lot of what we do. Um, we have incredible, we're so lucky to have Vanessa. Um, she's kind of like our conscience, too, and she manages it all, organizes it. I can't say enough good things about Vanessa. We know, you know what? Let me just swap out here. No. <laughs> um, what's the best question? Uh, Entrepreneur can ask you. This is in my book, by the way. By the way, I wrote a book. Yeah. Um, not right, a right, right, We're going to get it up there. Don't Whatever angel investor wants you to know um, is what excites you about my business. That to me is the best question. What excites you? I'm the Stephen. I'm not Stephen Jobs. <laughs> yeah. I like the Winnie the Pooh one. Wouldn't you write that? But I don't mind being up there with a picture <laughs> of him. That's kind of neat, right? Um, yep. Yeah, but think about this. So the best question you can ask me is what excites you about my business, your business? That really puts me on the spot and makes it clear that you're in control. Because your expectation is, is that I've done some homework that I can actually answer that question. Because if I can't answer that question, there's no reason to ask any more questions. That's the most important question. What excites you about my business? Because you're not taking every meeting with every entrepreneur who reaches out to you. No, but I do read every pitch to some degree that comes to me. Right, so you've made a selection process on who you're going to meet with, 
So chances are something's intrigued you that you would want to take the meeting. Yeah, I mean, social proof is helpful, so we do get recommendations through our own network of angel investors that we trust. Um, and that's helpful, but it's not everything. Um, I, I have my own sense of intuition. I, I look for typos. And that's silly, right? I don't know, is that silly? But if you haven't really been thoughtful about something you're sending to somebody, and it's your first shot. So in publishing, they used to say that your first issue uh, of your magazine or newspaper had to be your best because it was the one you had longest to work on. You got that, right? Well, in the same sense, if you're going to reach out and send something to us, it better be really good. Because it's, it's, it's the one thing you had the longest time to work on. It's your first shot. Certainly, we'll be improving, iterating, as people like to say. Iteration is the new innovation. Um, but it better be clean and follow very thoughtful processes of, of logic, of getting me to a conclusion that you want me to reach. And there are pitch decks, right? You're all familiar. You go online. You could look at pitch decks, all of the elements of what should be in a pitch deck. And when I get a deck and it doesn't have all those pieces, I say, what are they thinking? Why didn't they put in some of this stuff? When they neglect to put in something, you, you say, then they don't get it. They don't understand that there's a real logic to what belongs in a pitch or deck. Or they want to be different. <sighs> so you have its jobs up there, you know, <laughs> dare to be different, right? But no, there's, there's, I want to say, there's some rules and we want people to follow that because then we can assess what we're doing and all that kind of good stuff. All right, I could ask you a ton more questions, but we have a full house here. You're not going to talk about accelerators? Do you want to talk about accelerators? Well, we talked about it in the back. It's a big topic of conversation among a lot of young entrepreneurs, whether to go into an accelerator. And your view is? Remember, do I this, have, this, this do may I have a, be a turn into a weapon. Right. <laughs> do I have a view? Do you have a view on accelerators, Brian? Accelerators are a great idea. They're not that new. You know, they're, everything old is new again. They, they, a lot of these types of accelerators existed back in the 90s. And they function as another methodology for investors to make money, right? And the model is to get them in 90 days, 120 days, whatever it is, get them to a place where they can raise money, right? Because without the money, the idea doesn't matter. So they refine, develop their pitches to be able to do that. And in some cases, they actually get great mentorship. And I have a problem with that word. You know that, right? How many of you actually have ever had a mentor? Good, just three of you. But if you join a business competition, you will be assigned a mentor. Now, do you think you can actually be assigned a mentor? Does everybody know the definition of what the, what the real feeling is behind the mentor? A mentor is somebody who cares about you deeply, somebody you trust completely, somebody you choose, not somebody who's choose, chosen for you. So I have a problem with that. And in many cases, it makes us feel good. Oh. What do you do? I'm a mentor over at that accelerator. And no one teaches anybody how to be a mentor. Isn't that weird? The ultimate responsibility of a mentor is quite extraordinary. But nobody teaches mentorship. Have you ever seen a class on mentorship? I've never seen a class on mentorship. Would you trust a class on mentorship? I think there's a logic to understanding that the first thing you learn in mentorship is that you're 100% focused on the entrepreneur, yes. not on yourself. And that you structure your life in the support of the responsibility of being a true mentor. It's giving and giving and giving till it hurts. So back to accelerators. So, you know, they've sort of the current model started by Y Combinator. So it's been about and eight. And they've cut that back dramatically. Yeah, and it's sort of, but it's been about eight years. 
Oh, so it's probably like VCs now, sort of right at the kind of tipping point to be. And everybody's kind of looking. Disrupted. Everybody's looking for the investment good that comes out of it. Right. How many companies got funded? How much do they get funded for? You could sort of look at that as a metric, but in the end, the actual metric is what was the exit? Did they make money for the investor? Right. I'm sorry, but that's really the metric. Right. So to me, you know, incubators, accelerators, I just think I just think of them as masturbators. <laughs> I was waiting for that. That's what he said well, in the back. He's like, I want you to ask me this question. They're an environment to making everybody feel good. Mm -hmm. I wish there'd be again that stuff I talked about before, more rigor. How many how many accelerators I go to talk at that I ask, do you challenge each other? Do you tell them your idea sucks? Where is in the context of the entrepreneurs are all sitting together, which by the way, they don't always have to now, but where is that challenge? Right. If it's a school, if it's a classroom, why don't we take advantage of that? There's a, I can get into so much trouble here. Um, like you haven't already? Yeah, well, I, I, I like, I, I, think, I think accelerators do good. I think they're wonderful. I think there should be more women in accelerators. I'll second that. Um, I think there should be, in some cases, you know, even supportive of mommies who want to be entrepreneurs and accelerators, but there isn't. Maybe it's just too early and there are insurance issues or practical things that get in the way, whatever. Uh, but I think New York City is the biggest accelerator. I think New York is unto itself an accelerator. You know, there was a great book written, you know, Tech in the City, it's a history of New York. Uh, written by a fabulous guy sitting in the second row, know, Alessandro Piol. Shout out, shout out. <laughs> um, and it highlights how New York City has grown up as a great accelerator. Right. That you can find people like, you know, Helly and others who are willing to give you time, as much time as you want. And so the mentorship around you, the advisorship around you is there to grab and to take anytime you want it. Right. Um, so you don't have to rely on going to an accelerator. It's, they're not for everybody. Not as, for I always, as, as, as you're saying in terms of being in control, as I always say to entrepreneurs, you know, with accelerators, it's about as much as the entrepreneur interviewing us as it is as yes. an accelerator doing the due diligence yes. on the startups. And when there's the right fit and when we have the right network and the right resources to accelerate a company, that's when it makes sense. Right. But I, just I, for the accelerator stamp of I love the approval, fact that there's a, there's a common app. Yeah. There's a common application for accelerators in the United States, like going to college. Well, ours is a little different. <laughs> but it's gotten that rote. Yes. You know? you know, and it shouldn't be, because that gets, that gets away, that gets programmatic versus what accelerators really are, which is investing. And plus an accelerator has to have a class. So they have to choose X number of companies, whether they're all the right companies or not, right? Right. I've seen incubators all over the country where the government says, we have to do something about our entrepreneurs. So they build a facility and they call it an incubator. And they run around town. Who wants to go in here? Who has a startup? You, 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 you but none of them are investable. Right. But they've got an incubator. They've got an incubator or- And they confuse angel investing, in that case, because they all need money, with economic development. And angel investors should never do that. But yeah. there's a sense of responsibility in, in, in America that if you're from a small town or city and you have money, you're supposed to do that. And if there was something to invest in, you would. That the economic development and 
government meddling in entrepreneurship. That's that'll be a separate conversation when there's no microphone or cameras, because my language gets a bit impolite. All right, we have entrepreneurs here. We have a full house here to hear here to ask you. Oh, look, a question from the peanut gallery. All right, Kathleen Warner. Hi, Kathleen. Let's go to Kathleen. Everyone knows Kathleen, formerly with Startup America. So. Amazing, really? amazing startup area. Now amazing. merged into Up Global. Yeah. Oh, there we go. I'm amazed that you called on me, knowing me. So, um, thank you so much for doing this, and uh, I really appreciate your insights, Brian. And great to see you again. So, you know, the data that's out there shows that uh, you know startups, companies that have a diversity on their leadership, on their boards. Uh, whether women, people of color, have better use of capital, um, succeed more than ones that do not. So, you know, but yet the amount of money, both angel and particularly VC, that go to women is woefully paltry, frankly, compared to those to go to the, sorry, you know, young white guys and middle-aged white guys. So I wonder what, you know, what your perspective is on that and what you do to sort of combat your own perspective, perhaps your own pattern matching, um, and, and what you do to get comfortable with something that may not be so comfortable or different for you. Well, to me, finding a woman who's running a company is a positive. So I don't have that problem. To me, I see it as, in my businesses, particularly you know, starting a company with my wife, I look for that. So I have a strong feminine side. So that, that's the way I was designed. So I appreciate the brilliance and the talent of women in startups. I was in Tel Aviv a couple of months ago, and I spoke at the Tel Aviv uh, Stock Exchange. And I looked around, and I stopped, and I started counting. There was eight women and 400 men. And I said, okay, guys, and it starts with the entrepreneurs. You better bring on a woman in a C-level position if you want to have a higher chance. And all the Kaufman Report, they did an analysis. It's very clear that you must have a woman in a C-level position to have a better chance of success. It sounds like a generic throwaway statement. But there's a, a sense of structure and logic to the way women think. Yes, I'm promoting women. Is that all right? Please. All right. Go for it. Go. Right. Keep going. Go, go on. All right. I'm not about scoring points. But you know, I'm married to a, a genius woman. Um, I've got an amazing daughter. Um, I see around me all these amazing women that have helped build businesses that I've had. So I've, I've lived it. I know it. Um, I think the problems are challenging for them to become the entrepreneurs because we don't see enough of them. So I work very closely with Golden Seeds that focuses on women. I work very closely with the uh, organizations of 39 Angels. I look as hard as I can for women startups and we've just funded two. We funded Beauty Booked. Uh, we funded He Texted. So we're doing, I hate to say that it's, we're not looking to invest in women. We're always looking to invest in great companies. But the more opportunities that I see that are opportunities of angel investing, we will do. So it's not, oh, we're going to be nice today and invest in a woman-owned business. That's bad. That's really, really, really bad. Well, and, and I think you, in your answer before, in terms of someone saying, I'm going to go and pitch or meet New York Angels, you want to see entrepreneurs who are in control. And that's all in the delivery, and that's in everyone's you know, ability to say, right, I'm going to control. And, and I know the story with you guys investing in Beauty Booked and how you first met them. And that was a situation where the founders took control of a situation, thought they were going to have a lengthy opportunity to pitch. 
the timing for the event got messed up by the, the timekeeper and they were told, you have a minute. And they thought they had five or six minutes. And the founder, instead of you know throwing a fuss or doing anything, threw down her pitch book and pitched New York Angels in a minute. Right. And, and I remember this and, the, and yep. one of the angels said, there is an entrepreneur I want to invest in. So for me, the lesson from all those you're pitching to New York Angels, take control. And if you can't do that, you know, fake it. All right, more questions. <laughs> Can you talk about um, early stage company? How early of the stage of a company that the angels will be interested in investing? So we just did some telepathic just now because I believe angel investors, and this is just psychology that's, that's changed over time. Because angel investors haven't done as well as they thought they should, there's a tendency to say, you know what, I'm gonna wait to invest in a more de-risked business, which means, do you have customers, right? What kind of, that T word, that traction word? Um, I love the early. I wanna be an early. Why, why do I wanna be an early? I'll get a better opportunity for a better investment, frankly. You know, the, the nature of investing is risk. Even when you look at the stock market and bonds, right? You make more money on higher risk opportunities. I love high risk. Love it. And not everybody likes that. But what comes along with high risk is bigger opportunity to succeed on, on, the, on the end. So at the New York Angels, we started the ECF, which is an early catalyst fund just for that reason. So Beauty Booked was very early. He texted, was very early. And we have many other companies. And those are faster also, because they're so early, there isn't a lot of due diligence to do, but we'll do the necessary amount. But not all angels have that risk profile. I love early. I wanna know as soon as possible. There's a young man in this audience that was extraordinary from this company called Canvas in college, he wouldn't leave me alone pitching me, and it was just an idea. And I gotta tell you, I caught on to that idea and loved it. And now he's building the product out. But I had to believe he had the chutzpah, which he does, to annoy me to no end, to get my attention. <laughs> but it worked. But we invested in him really early. But, but not every angel investor has that risk profile. But you're, but you're seeing something in the founder. You're not just saying, hey, I got this idea, someone needs to fund it, right? You're seeing someone who's like, I've got this great idea and this is what I need to do. And you, you're right, you, it's, it's the hoods, but you see something there as opposed to a lot of the times where we see entrepreneurs who are like, well, if I don't get any funding, I guess I won't do it. It's like, we wanna see that you've not just come up with an idea, but you've sweated this and you've agonized over it and you've thought about every way that you can make your idea happen not just some expectation that some angel is just gonna write a check and then you're gonna become, you know, fill in the blank. Right. All right, more questions. We, we <laughs> just working that microphone down to the middle of the, there we are. Hi, uh, what- You've what been a good listener, I've been watching you. I, I've been enjoying, so, no, I, so I, that's I, good. I like the way you listen. Good, I, you know, I like the way you speak. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, what, what excites you about a presentation? I mean, is it, I feel like everybody says you, you, know, you got to have a deck, but a deck is a PowerPoint, and a deck is you know what we've been doing for class presentations for our whole life. So what what makes what makes a presentation exciting to you? Well, you actually kind of talked about it a moment ago. So when I was in business and I had to pitch clients, 
we did the same thing. We pitched them with a PowerPoint, right? We become accustomed to that. Um, and, and they're helpful because they take a 10-minute period of time and they compartmentalize the information. And they're kind of a timekeeping. So they are functionally good like that. But at some point in time, I love it when the entrepreneur just sits down and says, let's talk. Let's have a conversation. And if you use your time wisely enough, you ask the questions that you know that they're thinking. Because you've got to know what the key questions are that they're thinking, even after you give your presentation, because you've had these questions before. So I love it when an entrepreneur says, OK, I've just you know, told you some key things. But what you're thinking is that it's not going to work because of this reason. OK, so let's talk about that. And you're actually asking the questions that I'm harboring inside. So years ago, um, I started this trend of doing PowerPoints. Um, and I would have on the bottom of the corner of, the power of my PowerPoints a little bubble. And it says, OK, listen, I know this slide has a lot of shit on it, but I really just want you to concentrate on point three, right? So it would almost, because everything in life is behavioral. So you had a slide, it's a lot of crap on it, a lot of stuff to, you know, to note. But then I would always have this little piece on the bottom of the slide that would say, oh, good, that's like a helper to get you through the stupid PowerPoints. But being in a position to ask the questions that, I'm, that you know that I'm thinking, that to me is great. And to have a conversation about it. Yeah, and, and it's also distinguishing between the different types of pitches. Right? There is the pitch that you do at a live pitch event, like a pitch competition. I mean, as so I say to people, that's Vegas. Like, pull out your inner Liberace and like go for it. Whereas if you were in New York Angels, there may be a defined time. There's this, this kind of information that you can get. Or if you're just in a meeting with Brian, it is still a pitch, but it's something different. You don't necessarily want them to sit there and go through the deck. If you, as Brian's already said, he's already looked at it. If that's why he's taking the meeting. More questions. There we go. Thank you. Um, hi. I have a question. If you were to invest in a foreign company, what kind of New York presence would you require in terms of uh, um, not being here at all or having a subsidiary here or uh, having moving their headquarters here? Yeah, so this question comes up a lot. Um, particularly, we're doing a lot more um, resourcing of opportunities over in Eastern Europe, uh, Israel especially. Um, we want to know from a transparency standpoint uh, that financially there are um, uh, corporate processes that you adhere to that are more aligned with the U.S. for transparency. So that's, that's important. So let me clarify that. It's better if you're a U.S. company. You could do some of your development overseas, but you know there's this great picture um, uh, of, of the railroads being created in the United States, and it shows when they're meeting somewhere, I don't know, the middle of the country, uh, being a provincial New Yorker, are there states in the middle of the country? I think there are. Um, but what's, when, what's when, between us and Silicon but, Valley? Right, right, right. <laughs> but when, they, when the train tracks meet, they're like this, right? So there's generally, like, we're right on. We're going to make it. And then they just miss. And the biggest reason is because they aren't close to the customer. And there isn't one country with a startup that isn't interested in selling to the customer base in the United States. So if you're not in tune with, right, I'm just being logical, from a development standpoint to iterate, listen to the customer, iterate, listen to the customer, remember iteration is the new innovation, then you're more than likely not going to end up with a more qualitative product. You could maybe, sort of, right, it's possible. Um, and then again, your sales and marketing team should be here because you're selling. There are some amazing statistics, like, I don't know, two-thirds of all the customers in the world financially, you know, from Washington to Boston. Something ridiculous like that. So it's better if you're in, in America. 
for also the transparency financially and opportunity for listening to customer for development and sales and marketing. Because, I mean, I'm thinking otherwise, you're looking to investors in the U.S. just for money. And at this point with angel investing, it's just not, not just about the money. It's right. about what el everything else you bring to the table to help a company, you know, really scale, launch, Correct. all that kind of That's good right. stuff. That's right. All right. We were going to have one more question. Um, hi. How are you? Thank you Fine, so thank much you. for this talk. My pleasure. I actually have a company which is based in India. I'm traveling here and visiting. But I also have the company registered here. And um, I, I'm, I'm, I do fine chocolates. Uh, my question is, um, I can say I'm, uh, I've been doing research. I've been doing this company for two years. But formally, it's just registered six months ago. And uh, we've been getting a lot of customers. We have demand. What I want to know, I haven't approached an angel investor. Uh, because one of the things that I'm having trouble with is figuring out the finance, um, what, how much I should ask him, um, if, sh if I should ask him, you know, just a minimum, if I should ask him a lot more, how so, does it so, all work? Yeah. So, so that's, that's a great question in terms of, because like, a lot of, I would say a lot of entrepreneurs will come to me and, they, and they'll say, well, we're raising 150000 or we're raising two hundred, and it's like, is that enough money? What's the thought process that you want an entrepreneur to go through to think about how much. Get back here, they're filming. Get back here oh. in your chair. Get back. Listen, you've broken rules tonight. I was going to go up close and personal yeah. and talk to you guys. <laughs> um, fundraising is a process. It isn't an action. It's a, it's a process. You have to ask yourself, what does the entire process look like? From friends and family, it's a step-up process, right? It's both based on time performance and money in need and how long the money is going to last, right? Based upon your execution. But at each step of the way, it's literally like stairs, right? You're going to need money at various points in the development of your business. And at each point in the development of that business, it's pretty straightforward. There's a valuation to the business. It's that valuation to a great extent at some point in time that's going to become more important to your investors. There's a, there's a, there's a problem that existed, and it still sort of does, a valuation creep, where as a young company, you choose to value your company too high, and if you don't make your numbers, which I've rarely ever seen ever numbers made, and you go look for your next round of money, those people that you're asking for your new next round of money are gonna crush your first investors. So in my book, I wrote this really good book. You've got to read it. Whatever angel investor wants you to know. You love the ones who loved you first. Love the ones who love you first. What it really says is, think about that step up. Think about pricing your company. And it's not, this is just one piece, so it's more complicated. Think about pricing your company appropriately so that when the opportunity gets to the point where you're actually going to succeed, then the people who give you money says, great, now your valuation is another level higher, but it's acceptable based upon where you are. The question of how much you need and when, in some cases, really based upon your trajectory. We like to fund the company so that it doesn't have to think about raising money for a long time, which is generally about a 12-month trajectory. Now, you're always thinking about raising money as a startup, but not always intensely thinking about it. So you want to raise enough money so that you do have a 12, maybe even longer, period of trajectory. In Silicon Valley, it's a, and some of this is anecdotal, there's, a, there's, a, there's the nature of, we're going to make money a non-issue. We're going to give you more than you need. 
right here. There's a lot of money, and your valuation is going to be higher. And that's sort of okay, a lot of money is a higher valuation. In New York, there is a tendency to be a little bit lesser than, okay, accomplish these goals, we'll give you more. I think we're all sort of finding the, you know, the right balance there. But for you, you should raise enough money so that it gets you to another major milestone and last something like 12 months. That's sort of a rule of thumb. Because well, it's, it's a full-time process to raise money, and so you don't want to finish your round, run out of, you know, say, great, I'm going to raise money for six months, because that means really three months in, you're going to start raising money again. And while you're raising money, you're not running your business. It's, it's, so it is, and, it's, and, and I would say, um, too, if you don't understand the financials, don't start asking for money. Really because think the answer is going to be no. Yeah, really think about that step up. It's not a moment in time. It's an ongoing process of moments of time. And map it out. And you can. You really can. It's a pretty straightforward thing or, to do. Or maybe there's a book that would help you map it out? There is a book, <laughs> What Every Angel Investor Wants You to Know. <laughs> I don't know who wrote it. But it's some guy. I think he's okay. Yeah. You know, we'll, you know, just we'll as a closing point on it, the biggest reason I found in doing the research for the book is angels really want to hug you. Angels really want to like you. And they really do it for fun more than anything. In the end, they hope they make money. You know, I wish they would think about that more because I think it hurts everybody. Dumb money after dumb ideas, no, that's not good. Smart money after dumb ideas, no, that's not good. Smart money after smart businesses, that's good. And so that's really important. So make sure you've got the rigor, the smarts in your business thinking, the logic behind the knowledge that you've got that you know your customer better than anybody in their market and their behaviors, and you'll be golden. But remember also, there's lifestyle businesses that we'll never fund. They've got to be in some ways scalable, right? So thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.